The 10th anniversary of Pope Francis' election to the chair of Peter is right around the corner. So on today's Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano is going to talk about the Holy Father, Pope Francis. Stay tuned on the radio at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM and on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. If you haven't done so already, download the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I'm Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, we just saw each other today at Mass, right? I'm surprised, you know, you're not sick of me already. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. For our listeners' uh, information, I was at St. Mary's in Richfield, celebrated Mass for the school children. They were terrific. They They're- really were. Good bunch of kids. Yeah, they were very respectful. They knew their their answers to my questions. And that one little boy who said, shouted out, <laughs> and Jesus is the son of Mary. <laughs> I, I, I liked when you said when you asked the kids, um, uh, are are you allowed to answer back at, at your? Parents? Oh yes, is answering back is right. Is answering back. Your parents are sin, and they're going, no. What do you mean, no? <laughs> <laughs> that must have been my kid. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyway, but listen, we're gathering, and once again, there is uh, another death yes. of a very prominent churchman, which is a great loss for the church, Cardinal Pell, who was the archbishop of, um, I guess it was the archbishop of Sydney, Mm-hmm. And he was also the Bishop of Melbourne before. And he basically was the most important churchman in Australia, Catholic prelate, yeah. for a very long time. And fiery. Yes. Fiery. Fiery. And of course, I think our listeners would recall that he was um, caught up in charges, alleged allegations of abuse of minors that um, allegedly occurred in the sacristy following one of the celebrations of Mass. And from the beginning, it seemed implausible because of the time frame during which this was supposed to happen and all of the vesture that the, the man was wearing to be able to actually you know, do something so terrible, so right. sinful. But anyway, but he was indicted. He went to, right? And he actually was in prison for about 400 some odd days. Mm-hmm. And then he was totally exonerated. Yes. By Australia's high court. And he's published a series of memoirs. Yes. Which are quite powerful spiritual reflections. Right? Yeah. It's called uh, Prison Journal. It's Prison titled. Journal. Yeah. I've only read the excerpts. I have not really, to be honest, to have the time. I've not had the time to read them all from, yeah. you know, from beginning to end. And the interesting thing is, I, don't, I did not know Cardinal Pell very well. But I did have dinner with him, hmm. literally sat next to him when I went to Rome for Monsignor Power's installation as rector. And um, and having, you know, kind of seen him on media and read about him, he did strike me. Now, in hindsight, when I look back, as frail may not be the right word, but unsteady. Hmm. Like he, he looked as if he was laboring in some ways, even to get up, to sit down. And to be honest, I thought it was in part some of the collateral damage from being imprisoned, hmm. right? And all the conditions he was in. But I didn't realize he had a heart condition, but he's had for a very long time. And it was that operation he had, or some procedure that he had endured that caused heart um, heart issues. So hmm. he was 81 when he died. 81 is not, you know, I remember 81 was ancient. Hmm. I thought 80 was, but now you hear people in the 80s, 90s, 
late 90s, active lives, right? Yes. Yes. So in that context, it's, you know, he's relatively youngish yes. to die. Yes. Mm-hmm. Did you, uh, uh, anything that you uh, feel at liberty to share about any conversation you had with him at that dinner? Um, no, well, I made one reference to the fact that my plan is, as part of the Eucharistic revival, our observance of the Eucharistic revival in our diocese, that I want to spend the coming year working with leadership and particularly clergy on not only the theological meaning of the Eucharist, but also the the, the art of celebrating Mass hmm. with the clergy and trying to raise some really interesting questions about how we celebrate it correctly and how to enhance its beauty for everyone who comes to mass. And he, I I was speaking a bit about it and he leaned over to me and he said, go for it. (laughs) 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 I just kind of smiled. Um, Certainly he was conservative theologically in so many different but I also, from what I understand, he was also extraordinarily um, a man who loved people, but yeah. but he called it as it is, as he saw it. Yeah. So he didn't cater to people. He tried to love people. There's a difference, right? Between yes. Yeah. 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 That's uh, I'm from afar. I always saw him as a fearless defender of the truth and of mm-hmm. and what is right. And mm-hmm. actually, of course, you know, um, Cardinal Pell was also a, a close and trusted advisor for Pope Francis. He certainly was, and he led the uh, Secretariat for the Economy. Mm-hmm. So he was the one that the Pope turned to to try to make some sense out of the mess that exists in some parts of the church structure regarding finances, administration, transparency, following basic standard accounting principles, all the rest. Yeah. And I would not be surprised. I think it's not um, inaccurate to say that he made a whole host of people very unhappy. Right. And now what he started is not coming to fruition. So now all the accounts are in one place. All of the reporting, the Vatican Bank now um, has been reviewed by, what is it, Money Val. Basically, everything is is falling into place. There's still more work to be done. So he was a pioneer. So he really, but again, that was his personality. If he thought it was right and he was asked to do it, then he would do it. If he didn't like it, what can I tell you? I mean, it's just still going to get done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We actually could use a, a, a good dose of that <laughs> in general. Oh, you're telling me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The key. Now, I sometimes when I examine my own conscience, the key is to be direct, but not offensive. Yes. To say what you need to say, say clearly and indirectly. Listen to what's being said in response. Never characterize whoever the person is with whom you are speaking. You have to be direct and charitable, yes. not direct and obnoxious. Yes. Because, right? Yeah. No, I would think he was direct and charitable from what I have heard. Yeah. Right? But he's also a tall man. He was big. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, he is big. Huh. Oh, he is big. Like tall. Yes. He's imposing. He's a very imposing figure. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, and, and that kind of brings us around to today's topic. Yeah, well, because now with the death of Pope Emeritus Benedict, and it is just two months away from his 10th anniversary being elected to the, the See of Peter. For Pope Francis. I thought it would be a great thing for us to revisit Pope Francis. Yes. Because 10 years is the natural, I think it's a very natural moment to look back and just kind of um, take an assessment, get a sense of what has happened. And to be honest, in preparation for our conversation, when I looked at everything that has happened, there has been an enormous amount done. Mm 
hmm. in 10 years with Pope Francis, an enormous, enormous, enormous amount. Yeah. And I had not, and I had not appreciated it until I actually sat down and took a look at it. Right. So there is a lot to talk about. And I think Pope Francis has got, is certainly has made a huge impact on the church. And I think that impact's going to last for a very, very, very long time. Not least of which, with the administration of the church. Yes. You know, and again, from my perspective, people speak to the new apostolic constitution and the reorganization of the curia and which itself is great change from congregations to dicasteries, which would allow lay people to actually head a dicastery. Um, that is huge change in the sharing of the governance, right? And, but in my mind, that's important, but there are other changes and there are other things that he's done that are far more important that are going to have much more of a lasting pastoral effect. And if I had to say this, my assessment of Pope Francis is that he is the counterbalance to Pope John Paul and Pope Benedict, if I could put them in one kind of uh, category, that were very catechetical, very theological. John Paul was very philosophical. And Francis is very deeply pastoral. So in, in, in the life of the church, you need both. You have to hold both together. So it's almost as if we have the two pieces in these two different <coughs> livings of the papacy. And kind of Pope Benedict was kind of like the bridge <coughs> because he lived longer than his reign. Right? Yes. <clears throat> so, I mean, for Pope Francis, the, certainly the first Jesuit ever to be Pope, the first mm -hmm. man from South America to ever to be Pope, the first man to be Pope outside of Europe in more than a thousand years, although he is Argentinian and Italian, because his father was an Italian immigrant, and his mother... I believe it was Argentinian, but her parents were Italian. Ah. So there's a lot of Italian in him. All right. So we know that he's Jesuits of Brad, but be still, but this the Italians are not gone, is my point. <laughs> okay, just for the just for the record. Right. And his early life, you know about his early life, right? Uh um, very little. Uh, he did some uh, manual labor, I think, when he was younger. Yeah, he was a bouncer at a bar. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> now, let's think about that for a <laughs> Yeah, he was a bouncer. He was a janitor. He was a chemist by trade. Right? So you think to yourself, this is a guy who knew the rough and tumble of life. Yeah. This was the guy who didn't live life with a golden spoon. Right. And and I believe his father was a chemist. And therefore, when we speak, when you look at him now, not only in his office, but his temperament, his earliest years were probably the most formative and hmm. how he sees the world. So, for example, he himself has received a lot of critique about the Pope Francis's critique of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And it could be written off. Some people write it off as saying, well, because he's South American and South Americans have their own form of capitalism when it works and that it's not really fully appreciative of capitalism as we live in the United States. And some of that could very well be true. But I do think some of his critique is the lived experience of growing up in his family. Right. And in that sense, the, the, the kind of jobs he had, the people he dealt with just kind of co colors the way life is. Sure. So, so I thought to myself, what are the qualities that describe Pope Francis? And of course, I have only met the Pope once at the odd limiter we had. Very cordial, very friendly, all the rest. Um, but, but certainly humble. Tremendous emphasis on God's mercy, right? An empathy for what I'm going to say is the human condition that's suffering or broken, right? Or despondent, right? 
And he also, as Pope Benedict was, very interested in interfaith and ecumenical dialogue, in part because of the state of the world in which we're in. So when he was 21 years old, that is when he had that health crisis, right? Where he developed a form of pneumonia, a form of infection, and that is when he had the intervention and part of his lung was removed, right? So that's relatively a young man, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. At 21. So he'd gone from 21 to 86 with only really one lung. So I wonder to myself, at 21 years old, that you're in this life-threatening situation, how does that change the way you look at life? How does it change your life? And how does it rearrange your priorities? And I think, again, his emphasis on the vulnerable and the sick, the, his suspicion of institutions and systems that are geared towards profit and reduce the dignity of the human person. All of that could be rooted not just in his theology and study, but also the life that he lived, right? So um, the other interesting thing, and this is just, I found this fascinating. You may know this, Steve, but in one of the gatherings, one of the synodal gatherings, the relator, that is the fellow who takes the notes and gathers everything and does the drafting with the bishops and all that was Cardinal Egan. Do you know this? I know. I did not know that. It was Cardinal Egan. And it was in September. It was actually um, the same time that there was that horrendous attack, the terrorist attack in the United States. So the Archbishop of New York was in Rome to do to, to be the relator of the synod. And he had to come home, obviously. So the person who was chosen to be the relator in Cardinal Egan's place was Cardinal Bergoglio. Aha, okay. Okay, and at that time, I'm not even sure he was a cardinal, but uh, the archbishop. And some people say that was the moment where this very humble and low-key man became known to many, many, many bishops and many of the curiae in Rome, which eventually put him on five of the, the commissions, right, mm -hmm. in, the, in Rome. So it, it, interesting, out of that act of evil has, you know, cascading effect that would have put the future pope in a position where people could actually get to know him and that many years later would be voted right. into the office of Peter. Wow. Isn't that interesting? Wow. How that, that line could work. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is amazing. <laughs> okay. So if I were to say, so if I were to say to you before I go on, so what what if when you hear the name of Pope Francis, what comes to your mind, right, from his papacy? Uh I, I think one of the first things definitely is what you mentioned, Excellency Mercy. Mm -hmm. I feel like I don't remember the exact date, but very early on in his papacy, he instituted that year of mercy, and he yes. really, really yes. talked about that a lot, which I think is beautiful. Yes, yes. Oh, without a doubt. It was the year, I forget if it was 2015. I have it somewhere in my notes. The interesting thing is, not only did he have the year of mercy, but he also instituted the missionaries of mercy. Yes. And they were priests that went out. Right, and they had faculties really to forgive even the reserved sins. It was almost as if he was sending them out to liberate God's people. You know, the other thing I didn't know about, there are a lot of things I didn't know about the Pope until <laughs> I did this homework. He, he was the eldest of five, huh. but his sister is still alive. Huh. Did you know that? No. Yes. Mm -hmm. Maria Elena Bergoglio, she was born in 1948. Yeah, but I've never seen her on television or interviewed or nothing. Yeah. Isn't that, I thought huh. that was, I, yeah. And as I said, his father was not a chemist. His father was an accountant and his mother was a housewife. Okay. Right. Um, so his story of conversion, no, conversion is not the right word, of discernment 
for the priesthood is an interesting one. Do you know it? I, I actually, I'm not familiar with that story, Excellency. Yeah. And, and I didn't know it either until as I, as I kind of really started digging into his, his life story. He, um, in Argentina at the time, there was Spring Day, you know, cultural national celebration. Uh-huh. And he was in his late teens and he was walking to go to the celebration. And he passed by a church and decided to go to confession before he went celebrating. Very smart, very smart, spiritually. Yes. Get and some graces on your way. On your way. It can't <laughs> hurt. And he encountered a priest. And it was the encounter with the priest that for the first time in a serious way raised the question of priesthood for himself. Hmm. So I reflected on that. And, you know, we talk about vocational recruitment and encouraging young men and and all of that is wonderful but i think to myself you know it's it could be as simple as an opportunity to hear someone's confession and if it's a young man if you're truly serious if you truly believe if you're truly a witness you could touch that man's life through the power of grace it's grace that could use you in this case to discern who eventually became a future pope. Yeah. Right? Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And he entered the society of Jesus, the pope, as a novice, (laughs) one year and 18 days before I was born. 1958. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) Even that too, so it gives you perspective. Yeah. Right? Yes. The other thing I found interesting, you know, there's a tremendous amount of writing going on about Archbishop Gan Swain and his memoir and all the rest, prescinding from all that. I had not, it had not dawned on me that the age difference between Pope Francis and Pope Benedict was only nine years. Right. Yep. Yeah. Although France, Francis portrays a young, a much younger person than his age, and Benedict kind of presented an older person than his age. Yes. Is that fair? You think? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, another thing that I thought was fascinating, we've always heard about the fallout between Pope Francis when he was uh, the provincial superior in Argentina and the Society of Jesus. And it was actually in 1992 where Father Bergoglio was asked no longer to visit Jesuit houses by the Jesuits themselves. So basically they were saying, you know, go on your own, leave us alone. And the reason was because of the tensions between the Pope, the future Pope, and Jesuit theologians and scholars, that they they saw him as dissenting from what they were holding theologically, which was always more liberal than the mainstream of the church. And uh, Father Bergoglio's opposition to liberation theology, um, it's fascinating. Because he is portrayed in the media now as being a liberal, quote unquote, whatever that means. Because right. even that, I, I'm not exactly sure what that means, but he's portrayed to be a liberal. But in fact, theologically, from as a young man, has always been in line with the church, if one could say, a conservator of the church's tradition and paid the price by the Jesuits, telling them basically go take a hike. Mm-hmm. See, again, so when, when people in the modern world, in social media, you know, if they don't know what they're talking about, wouldn't it be better if they said nothing at all? <laughs> well, certainly wouldn't that the media, be a relief? <laughs> yeah. And the media certainly doesn't help. No, not In that all. regard. No, not at all. Yeah. It's terrible. It's terrible. Um, oh, we have much more to talk about. We have yeah. much more to talk about. Yeah. So, uh, um, 
Right. I, you know, just before we go to the break, you're right because you know, for one thing, another thing that always that uh, comes to mind when I think of Pope Francis, besides that year of mercy and his emphasis on mercy, is that he's so strong on things like, for example, abortion. But you never hear about it in the media, as you you know. So right, um, right. Well, because the media wants to create an impression. And it's always an impression that seeds conflict and division. Mm-hmm. Because who's going to turn on CNN and say, everything in the world's lovely? <laughs> right? Yes. And, and I'm singling out CNN, but the truth of the matter is, there's lots of news outlets yes. that are guilty of that. Yep. Right? One person is interesting. One person said to me a long time ago, when soon after CNN was created, and I thought he was half joking, but now I wonder if he was joking more when he said, 24 hour news will shatter society. Huh. And I thought to myself, oh, stop. But in a sense, what I've come to understand him to have meant, which I didn't understand then, is that it, it's, it's a constant seed of controversy. Yes. And this is a perfect example. And when we come back from the break, there are other things we could talk about in the Pope's earlier life that make what he's doing now as Pope make much more sense because they are not new to him. They've been there all along in his life. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so then you can you can uh, t- explain that more to us. Um, Mm -hmm. When we come back on the other side of the break, this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network, and we will be right back. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Excellency, you, you kind of gave us a little bit of a tease there as we went off into the break. Yeah. One thing I learned about Pope Francis's early years as a bishop is that he had nicknamed his nickname was the Slum Bishop. And the reason he was called the Slum Bishop is that when he became bishop, he said the church needed to go and attend and care for the people who lived in the shanty towns and the slums, which most countries, including our own, but most countries have. Mm-hmm. Either they're very clearly visible or they're intertwined with the rest of the society. And in Argentina, they were on the outskirts of Buenos Aires, and they were huge. He doubled the number of priests who served in the slums, precisely so that these people who desperately needed help just did not get material help, but they understood that God didn't abandon them, that God loved them. And again, it's the theme of mercy. When the aristocracy, even within the church hierarchy, that portion that was the aristocratic portion, would have had absolutely no desire or inclination 
to do what he did. He did just the opposite. So when people say, for example, when he was the archbishop, that he lived in his own apartment, did his own cooking, took the, the bus, and isn't that quaint, it isn't that nice, it is that. If you take a more objective view, it came from this conviction to stand with those that society and parts of the church did not stand with. So how could he have a driver if he's gonna go into the slum and teach catechism when they don't even have a door on their on their on their hut? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it's not grandstanding. It's trying to be authentic, right? Same with the washing of the feet of individuals on Holy Thursday. You know, when he became pope, as you know, he goes to prisons, and, but he did that all the years he was a bishop. Again, because that that's another type of slum, right? And some years he did hospitals, some years he did jails, some years he did retirement homes. Sometimes he just went into the slum. So doing it as Pope seems novel, but it's not a stunt, is my mm-hmm. point. It's right. there from the beginning. And the other interesting thing, very interesting, in my humble opinion, if there has been static in Pope Francis's papacy in the last few years, thing, something he has done that has gotten people upset, at least a portion of the faithful upset was his restrictions on the older form of the mass, right? What we used to call the extraordinary form. Yes. But you know what's interesting? As soon as Pope Benedict issued rules for the liturgical form, the extraordinary form. Now, so let's think about this now. This is a few years before Benedict retires. Mm-hmm. As soon as they were issued, Cardinal Bergoglio established a fixed place for the weekly Sunday celebration in the extraordinary form in Buenos Aires within one week of the issuance. I had no idea. So now he's characterized as a man who is deathly opposed to the extraordinary form. And, but in fact, he was one of the first bishops to implement it. Wow. Right? So one of the things that we have to really kind of think through is for, the, for those who advocate the extraordinary form, in our diocese, the vast majority of them who attended are good, faithful people. They don't dissent from the church. They don't dissent from the Vatican Council. They love the church. They believe and they love the Pope. Yes. But there are a few who don't. There's a few everywhere on earth that don't. And unfortunately, the squeaky wheel gets the oil. And I sometimes wonder to myself, if we were more self-correcting and those people who really do not cause all of this, if we ourselves put them in their place, history could be different. Mm -hmm. But that clearly shows that the Pope has no, I mean, if he didn't think there was a value, why would he have done it? <laughs> right? Right. Yep. Yes. Fascinating. I, I learned so much, it's not even funny. Right? About that. You know, of course, there are um, there are rumors. You know, Rome is filled with rumors. No. You Could don't you say. imagine? <laughs> Could you imagine? And you know, who knows if they're true or not, but when, when, especially with papal conclaves, but supposedly there are more than one rumor that when John Paul died, Cardinal Bergoglio was a very serious contender to be elected Pope. Mm -hmm. And Pope and, and Cardinal Ratzinger was elected Pope in part because Cardinal Bergoglio gave, again, supposedly, a very emotional plea to the conclave bishops that they not vote for him for Pope. Now, is that true? I don't know. But it would fit the character of the man that we're describing here. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it interesting 
that he has not gone back to Argentina. He's never visited since he's become Pope? No. I did not realize that. No. No. Nor does, nor will he, if he ever were to retire, nor would he go back. Because he said clearly he would live in Rome at the Lateran Council as the Bishop Emeritus of Rome. And, you know, who's to say if that ever were to happen? Right. But there are no plans to go. Hmm. Give me, like, I always thought that was, like, if you were the Pope, wouldn't you go back home and kind of like... I would be dying to go back home. Yeah. So what is it that turns his attention elsewhere? And I really don't know what the what the correct answer would be. But again, doing the research here, I think we look back on his life and he suffered a great deal in his time in Argentina. Huh. Right? He's, he suffered a great deal. A lot of it at the hands of the press and the government. Remember, what? Well, you probably weren't even born in the, in the mid 1970s, but the dirty war, all of the, of the shenanigans, assassinations, kidnappings, you know, priests who were captured and tortured and, and, and the government was no ally of the church, not the least. Mm -hmm. Right. And yet he was painted by the media as being an ally of the dictatorships that ran Argentina, which was not true. Right. So, I, you know, there's a part of you that must say, okay, listen, I, I gave my life to serve the people that was entrusted to my care. But now I have the rest of the world I have to attend to. Hmm. Yeah. But I find I don't understand politics very well in general. Uh, South American, I couldn't even begin to tell you what that is, except that intrigue is the name of the game. So in some way, shape or form, the fact that the Pope, as of this point, has not gone back in part simply because he's done all he could. He has done everything he could have done to serve the church in Argentina. Now there's another 192 countries mm -hmm. he has to attend to. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. when, Pope, when the Pope was elected, again, rumor says that he was elected after five ballots. In fact, it was two days. So that makes perfect sense. You could not have had more than eight. So chances are somewhere between five and eight is the fact okay. that he was elected. And do you, do, you, do, you, do you remember when he came out on the balcony? Uh, I, I remember seeing it, yes, on TV. He, I, I hope I don't offend anyone, certainly <laughs> not the Holy Father. But he looked like he was mesmerized at what he was looking at. It's almost like you're looking, is this for real? Is this real that I'm out here? Right? I remember when he waved, it was like, I was, it was waving and oh, like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I remember he said, uh, he asked us to pray for him. Yes. Yes, and he wore the same pectoral cross he wore as the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, which was made of iron, not even silver. Hmm. He didn't wear the red, right, ermine-trimmed Mosetta. Mm -hmm. He had none of that. Because, again, it's not the sort of thing where, well, if I become the Pope, these are all the signals and symbols I'm going to use to try to combat. It just is who he is right. from, going, from, from his early years, yeah. you know, as the slum bishop. It just yeah. is what he is. I found his name to, well, I'm biased. Uh, when, I, <laughs> when I found when he, when he announced it was Francis, I was thrilled. <laughs> and also shocked because I had not realized that it was never used. Hmm, right. As a name. And yet Francis is one of the towering figures of the last millennium. Yes, yeah. Isn't that odd? Yeah. Right? 
But in part of it, it's odd because um, Francis also associated with the Franciscans. So when you become Pope, do you want to give a signal that you are favoring one group? Or, ah, I see. But being already a religious, which is what he was, that wouldn't be a concern for the Pope. Yeah. And I think it was the, the, the spirituality of St. Francis that kind of captured his spirituality. So going with the poor, being physically, materially, simple life, um, to be a person who looks at creation as a gift from God to be cherished, right? To be a steward of. To look for interreligious dialogue, just as Francis went to the Sultan, right? To be able to, you almost see everything he does as animated from a Franciscan spirituality yeah. because he's been that his whole life. Yes. Right? And, and, the, and the name is nice. I like Frank. <laughs> it's a good name. <laughs> yeah. There was something else that happened, and that is, when, um, again, rumor said, and in fact, he may have said, the Pope may actually have said this, I don't remember, but the Brazilian Cardinal Humes, when it was clear that the Cardinal Bergoglio was going to be elected the new Pope, was sitting next to him in the conclave. And he turned to him, to the current pope, turned to him and said, right, in Italian, he, he said, Holy Father, don't forget the poor. And I think he has kept that promise yeah. for the 10 years he has been pope. Yeah, right? definitely. Yeah. Right. Okay, I can keep going. Let's keep going. Right. Other things. What are the changes? Uh, 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 Pope Francis, we talked about the Dicastery. He created a Council of Cardinals. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's going to be basically a permanent structure now in the Roman Curia. Up to eight cardinals from all around the world who come and are as close as confiders and advisors and confidants to try to help lead and guide the church, which is so diverse throughout mm -hmm. the world. Yeah. Right. Um. He had synods. He had synod on the family, synod on youth that I went to, the synod on the Amazon. Mm -hmm. Now we have a synod on synodality, all within 10 years, not even nine years, right? Which is a lot just in and of itself. Do you remember in February of 2014, the Pope asked, I forget what congregation was supposed to do this, to send a survey to the lady of the world. Do you remember that? I, I don't actually. Yeah, he did. Okay. And, and, and in that survey, right, um, there was a lot of, let's call it ferment, right? And, um, and I think that was part of what laid the seeds for what we now have on the synodality, but in a different way, because it's not about, as we've said before, the teachings of the church. It's how the church lives its life mm -hmm. is what the synodality is all about, right? Mm -hmm. Then we have the Vatican Bank. Oh my gosh. I told you the story about the Vatican Bank when I had an account, I had an account and I was not money laundering. I was doing nothing wrong. I just had money in the Vatican when I was a student priest. And the only thing I had was that little blue card with a number. Uh huh. That's it. No name, no address, nothing. Nothing. All of that is gone. Yeah. All of that is gone. Right? Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. That needed to be fixed. Without a doubt. And he had lay people who helped him to do that. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I wanted to just ask you, um, going back to the synods for for a second. So he's he's had four synods in ten years. Um, Excellency, 
teach us what's the what's the idea behind the four synods in ten years? What should we take away from that? I I again am surmising. I certainly the topics family, youth, and the Amazon are very dear to the Pope's heart. And the synod and synodality technically has not started. It's the process has started, but the synod itself doesn't start until October. But having said all that, I think for a person who has been on on the streets, if I could put it that, with people, people who struggle, people who have needs, when you go to a place like Rome, there is a myopic vision. There's kind of like a group think. There's kind of like an insulation from what I'm going to say, the ordinary life of people. That strikes anybody who goes. But I think our current Holy Father would have felt it even more. Hmm. So the frequency of the synods, in part may be the Pope's fervent desire to engage people in discernment. Not necessarily decision-making, it's discernment. What is the Holy Spirit saying, moving in the hearts of individuals that would help the church to live in the modern world, faithful to what the Lord and the church teaches? Right. Okay. But the synods were actually created as a consequence of the Second Vatican Council by St. Paul VI. And they have been regularly meeting, bishops gathering together to really help the Pope deal with contemporary issues. Many of them are pastoral issues. And the Synod on Synodality now is really how do we function? How do we... So we say the church is hierarchical, and it is. But there's another synonym for that, and that is the church is also monarchical. Because the bishop, whoever the Dasa bishop is, wields extraordinary authority. Now, that is not changing. But there is an obligation for the one ultimately making the decision to listen to the Holy Spirit that speaks not just to his heart, but the hearts of everyone in the church. So that synod is not a democracy, but the synod provides all of that to come to the fore. So that those who are in authority, whoever they may be, they have the fullness of what the, the Holy Spirit is asking of them to address. So it's very much consonant with the way the Pope has lived his life and his ministry. Hmm. Right? Okay. Mm -hmm. Next to mercy, what would you think is going to be remembered for Pope Francis a um, hundred years from now, as one of his hallmarks. Anything? Uh, you know, I don't know if this just resonates with me because of the line of work I'm in, but um, I feel like he puts a strong emphasis on evangelization through uh, your actions, uh, mm -hmm. more even more so than your words. Mm-hmm. 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 Very true. But I think also John Paul certainly did that. Yes. Yep. Did that. Paul VI did that. Yeah. No. No, I'm, I'm referring to something else in my mind, but maybe you and I may not agree, but I think Laudato Si and his emphasis on creation and creation being a gift and that we have a responsibility as believers to care for the gifts God has given us will be a lasting legacy of Pope Francis for a very, 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 very long time. Yeah in part because it may almost be seen prophetically if what scientists are saying about the climate and how it may be altering will continue to happen. I mean, just the California experience we're having now, it is quite singular that they had one of the worst droughts in recorded history in the West, followed by rain in seven days that put that dumped on Northern California 24 trillion gallons of water. Yeah, that's crazy. They're extremes. Yes. Right? So in a sense, it, it's not a question of politics. It's a question of, 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 of theological 
teaching that creation is a gift and it was made good. That's what the book of Genesis says yes. in Revelation, right? Yes. And therefore, if it's good, it needs to be cared for. And we are doing a terrible job of care for it. Yeah. Yeah. And again, all this in 10 years and all the body of teaching that came from it, it is quite, it's quite remarkable. Yeah. What about, um, well, this may be something, obviously, that doesn't affect most people. But for bishops, it certainly does. Vost estis lux mundi. Yes, you are the light of the world. Right. And can you explain for us what that was? Uh, so my uh, my understanding is that that was his um, his not response is not the right. He, he, in in vost estis lex mundi, he specified uh, a a process and responsibilities for bishops. With regards to um, um, cases of uh, abuse, abuse, yep, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. even um, in relation to each other, and and kind of not policing, but uh, you know, um, keeping each other Count- in check. Accountability. Yes. Exactly. Vox see vox esses is historic because it creates a process by which. If there's an accusation made against the bishop, there's a way to report it, there's a way to investigate it, and there's a way to adjudicate it. Mm -hmm. Because as most people on this podcast have heard me say more than once, the Dallas Charter does not apply to bishops in the United States. Yes. But most S's does. Yes. And you'd be surprised how many bishops have had to deal with this. Sometimes because there's a false accusation from someone, but in the reporting of cases and how it's done correctly, there are some failures. Even Pope Benedict was accused of failure, right, when he was in Germany. So I think that's also a lasting change. Yeah, that was so important, especially following that summer of 2018. That was such a bad summer. Disaster. What a disaster. Yeah. With Cardinal McCarrick. Yeah. Who I presume is still alive because I haven't heard that he has passed. Yeah, right. But he also must be in his middle 90s. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So now you said there was a year of mercy. There was a, another year the Pope called. Do you remember? Uh, St. Joseph. Yes. And he has a tremendous devotion to St. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah, clearly. Right, he changed the canons, right? Yes, yep. Uh, not the canons, he changed the uh, the, the Eucharistic uh, prayers to include St. Joseph. Yes. In all of them, which I thought was, was tremendous. Yeah. And he has the sleeping Joseph on his desk. Yes, yep. And yeah. the apostolic letter, um, Patris Corde, was so beautiful. It was easy for, for me to read because it was short, <laughs> but it was yeah. so great. Mm-hmm, 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 Yeah. What about the change to Monsignors? Now, of course, we have new Monsignors in our diocese, three Monsignors. Yes, we do. Tremendous men. Tremendous. Two are retired and one is active. Father Canale is is the pastor of St. Aloysius and also Vicar General of the diocese. Mm -hmm. But he made changes there, too. So uh, so I don't remember exactly. He, he, uh, He cut down on the number of Monsignors, I think. Yes, he did. Um, He did in two ways. Prior, a bishop could request a monsignorship, you know, to become a prelate or chaplain. If he judged that the priest was worthy and deserved it, and there was a pastoral ministry associated with it. And I believe the age to ask was in the discretion of the bishop, but normally speaking, it would be somebody younger than 40, 45. Mm-hmm. And they were three ranks of Monsignors. The Holy Father said the minimum age to become a Monsignor is 65 years old, and there's only one rank of Monsignor, which is the chaplain to His Holiness. Okay. The lowest rank, if I could use that term. And, and that caused, let me tell you, that caused quite a stir when that happened. 
And that happened, I, I arrived in the diocese in September of 2013. He made that change in January of 2014. Oh. <laughs> and another interesting factoid that the Pope, when he was Bishop Archbishop, did not name a single priest, Monsignor. Hmm. Uh, so again, consistency in his... Without doubt. Without doubt. Uh, so yeah. I didn't realize now Monsignor Canelli was 65. I thought he was much younger. <laughs> he's not 65. Oh, okay. No, he's younger. Yeah, that's what I yes. thought. Okay. Yes, he's young. Not much younger. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> <laughs> so only a couple of years younger. But he's Vicar General. Right. Oh, okay. So, Got so it. there's a difference. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think, I mean, I learned a lot uh, in this discussion of of Pope Francis, and mm-hmm. and I hope you know other listeners did too. I just I feel like Excellency, mm-hmm. you know, especially when we talk about um, Benedict the Sixteenth, mm-hmm. and then Pope Francis. Mm-hmm. There's um, there are. There have been sides that were taken, which oh. is not true, right? And even Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthians, you know, do not do that. Don't say I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. I belong to Kepha. And uh, maybe it's just a human thing, but we've oh, not we not a, a lot of folks have done that. Yes, and it's and it's a shame. It's simplistic thinking, and it's false choices, all of which are rejected. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So, for example, let's do Catholic trivia. Want to do Catholic trivia? Okay. And then we need to take a break after this. Okay. Name me some of the individuals that were canonized under Pope Francis. Uh, under Pope Francis. Uh, it, so, I know he did Hunipo Sarah. Yep. Because we talked about that. Yep. Um, it's an interesting group. Did he... Did he do Mother Teresa or was that? Yes, Pope he Benedict? did. He did. Okay. He did Mother Teresa and, and he also did Oscar Romero. Ah, okay. He did Francisco and Jacinta Marco. From Fatima. From Fatima. And he did John Henry Newman. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he did John the 23rd, John Paul II, and Paul the Sixth. Right? There's no th- there's no left, right. Right. No, there isn't. Right. There isn't. For anybody who's willing to look at the at what's really going on. And again, that's because we're influenced in a world that always wants us to take sides and create artificial divides and hold people in conflict. And we as Christians have to stop doing that. Yes. Yep. Right? Mm-hmm. And he made St. Irenaeus a doctor of the church. Yes. Yes. And what did he call him? He called him the the doctor uh, doctor of unity. Amen. Yes. Amen. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's, that's a a good note to to end on excellency. I agree. So uh, we still have a listener question to get to, and we'll do that right when we come back from the break. This is let me be Frank on the Veritas Catholic network. Hey, it's Matt from restless on the Veritas Catholic radio network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed-up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, here is this week's question. came in, it says, Bishop Caggiano... I was in a conversation, and the person I was speaking with said that he thinks that once we die, there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. He said there is nothing after death. What mm-hmm. can I say to show him that there is an afterlife? That's a great question. I'm not exactly sure that there's anything you can show him per se. I mean, there's a very interesting distinction between what one says or tries to convince oneself of and how you and how you actually live your life. So to, to put it this way, if there really is no God and therefore there is no ultimate purpose, 
if you really believe that, then what value is there in life, which even if you want to say, I can make a difference, even that difference makes no difference. Hmm. Why would you get out of bed? Why would you even bother doing it? But you do do it. See, you do get out of bed. So there's an impulse in our very life that deep down inside recognizes that life, our life, has ultimate meaning. So in a sense, it's almost like being an anonymous believer in God. You say there is no God, but you don't act as if there is no God. Therefore, that's the problem that you would say to him, you need to think about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yep. Okay. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in to us on social media, or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, thanks again. Oh, my pleasure. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yep. And then and then next week, we will come up with something else. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure start. we will. <laughs> Stuff keeps happening. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, my gosh. Uh, but before you go, uh, I'd like to ask you to please give us your blessing. Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you amen. next week, my friend. Enjoy. Nice okay. All the best. <laughs>